Hello and welcome to Sibling Cinema. I'm Dennis. And I'm Bonnie. And welcome to our second episode as we continue our countdown of the Best Picture Oscar winners from worst to best. Or yeah. from, for more on that, you can check out our trailer episode. Has all the deets. Has all the details. And today we are discussing... As I said, film number 68. And what is that? That is The Last Emperor. Yes. From what year? From, snap, 1980. I have no idea. 90. No, it's okay. 1987. 1987, okay. Yes. 1987 was a good year. Yes. 1987, I think, for you. Oscar ceremony actually was April 11th, 1988. Oh, yeah. I was a newlywed. Yes. Yeah, that was right after, a few weeks after our, that was right near, no, no, yeah, it was right after after your honeymoon. Yeah, just a couple weeks after. On your future son's birthday. On my future son's birthday. We didn't know that at the time. (laughs) No, no, that would be very (laughs) strange if we knew that. That would be four years, right? Uh, Oh, yeah, four years, yeah. yeah. Before CJ was born. Before CJ was born. Yes. Shout out to CJ, April 11th. So and yeah, I probably so, didn't watch the Oscars that year. No, and I didn't either. Really? I, no. Why is that? But, well, this is the first year I remember being aware of the Oscars. Okay. Going on. Because unlike, unlike me, right. I was 21 at that time. You were just still I just was 12. Barely a child. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, so I was 12, and in our family, we didn't really watch the Oscars. That wasn't no. a thing I, think right. I ever remember no. mom and dad having it on. Uh-huh. But I remember being aware of it this year. I think the following year was the first time I actually watched them, because our cousin, Cheryl, mm-hmm. who's wonderful. She's great. She's great. She gave me a book of the story of Hollywood, which was kind of this collectible coffee table book that just it had chapters on each of the big studios and it was just full of charts and data. And I just devoured it. And, you know, I'm kind of a lists and data type of guy. And Mm -hmm. I just started to dive into the, you know, there were charts on the box office and on the you know, star contracts, and then also on the Oscars. Interesting. I never knew this. Yeah. And so really, I feel, I remember Cheryl saying when she gave me the book, that because I talk about movies a lot, which is true. I like <laughs> movies. But, you know, at the time, I liked Disney movies and Star Wars, right. like kind of a normal kid. Herbie goes to Monte Carlo. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I did see that. I, I liked the Herbie movies at, at yeah. one point. But I think there's a sense in which Cheryl deserves a lot of the credit for my obsession. It should be cousin cinema. Yeah, I don't have, think we've we ever really talked about it since. I know. But, I mean, Ani just devoured this book. I mm-hmm. still have it. It's just kind of threadbare by now, bound with strings. And can't really do show and tell on a podcast but if you look to your right you can see oh is this 
Oh, oh this one. <laughs> so maybe oh. you can describe the condition it that's It looks in. like, oh, I mean, it is. It's in tatters. Like afraid to open it. There, yeah, you can't, because there's no binding to it. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's it's a very small of... print for a 12-year-old. Yeah. Right. It's a big book. Oh, yeah, we should. I'm well, what we need to do up. is we need to it's... have, like, an Instagram thing so we can show pictures. Right, yeah, we should. Uh, yeah, the book is out of print. I want to try to find a used copy so, like, I can actually go through it. Yeah, because um, you can't really even turn the pages very well on this. No, you can't, but I would. What's the title of it? We don't uh, even know because... Hollywood Story. The Hollywood Story. But see, they have charts on all the different box office. Oh my goodness, there's a lot of charts on that. And end of each chapter uh-huh. would, oh, of gosh. each studio would have this big chart on their Oscars, which was kind of really neat to have, they have it laid out with just icons for the various categories that the studios won. Oh, interesting. For each year, so... <laughs> Yeah, this is just a lot of data on here. We never watched the Oscars, but it gets a lot of hype. And so this was the first year where I could kind of put it in context of this thing that they were talking about. Oh, I I know what this is. And Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to see The Last Emperor because it's kind of the next one that I could kind of imagine the icons it would get. Oh, interesting. Wow, I never knew this about you. Yeah, so this is really the... Where it all began. Normally ask at the beginning, what's your history with The Last Emperor? Do you I had not. I had heard of it, of right. course, and I, but I'd never seen it. Okay, that's what I thought. I wanted to see it because it won the Oscars. And I remember my parents were planning on seeing it. The movie is PG-13, and I was 12 at the time. Mm. And our, our parents are pretty strict with ratings. Yeah. You can attest to that. Right, because like R-rated movies, which we were 17, we couldn't watch till we were 18. Right. But also, I'm last of five, so they were kind of, yeah. kind of going into a semi-retirement stage. <laughs> by the time. So true. Yeah. Oh, also, so, PG-13 was a new rating, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, right? Yeah, it started in 1984. Okay. After, yeah. There was a lot of controversy with that, right. uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Okay, yeah. Getting the PG yeah. with the heart. Yeah, so they may not have been clued into the whole PG-13. They may have just been... Yeah, I think they knew that it was... But the 13 meant you should be 13. And I was 12. But I think the friends had seen it, and they said, oh, yeah, he, he might be bored because it's just a yeah. long history movie, but it should be fine for him. And so I think, like, the day we were going to see it or something, my mom mentioned it to our wonderful older brother, Joe. Oh, no. What did Joe do? <laughs> Joe got me kicked out of seeing it, so we went with So, <laughs> wow, this is, we're really getting into... Some interesting. Joe had seen it, and he has a lot of opinions. (laughs) Well, Joe is our oldest brother. He's so much older than both of us. He's so much older than both of us. (laughs) I remember my mom saying, oh, yeah, we talked to the Nichols, or I think it was one of their friends, and they said it was fine. And he goes, no, the movie (laughs) has orgies. What? (laughs) He says the movie has an orgy in it. Oh, no. 
And my mom, I remember my, I remember this very specifically. Oh, no. My mom said, this, "We're learning so much. There's a lot of deep seated resentment against my, Joe." My, I remember <laughs> my mom says, "Your mom, um, yes, our mom, yes." yes. We said, just call her mom for yeah, sure. Yeah, mom. Yeah, Joe, watch what you say. And I remember Joe saying, "He's an idiot. He doesn't know what that word means." <laughs> Wow. He may not have said idiot, but that's wow, how I remember. that's how you remember, <laughs> yeah, how I remember it. Okay. Which was true. I feel like we should have Joe on here as, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just to defend himself. <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah, anyway, and it was, so it was true that I hadn't heard the word, but of course, it, I, I very much made it a point and very shortly after this, I, <laughs> I knew what it, it meant, so. You Googled it? <laughs> yeah, well, I couldn't Google it then, but I, I just had to ask around. Yeah. Found, found, it wasn't uh-huh. hard to find another 12-year-old. Who <laughs> great. <laughs> oh, great. Right. Which, by the time I ended up seeing The Last Emperor, I think like a year or so later when it was on HBO, my expectations, I was expecting more like a Caligula type <laughs> movie than what you actually got. I don't know. What type of movie is that? Oh, Caligula is about the... Roman emperor that's full of debauchery. Okay. It was known at the time for what was the time extravagant. The I think the Caligula came out like in the late seventies or okay seventies maybe yeah yes so yeah I wasn't allowed to see it. Uh, My parents came back and said, "Oh yeah, it's a good thing you didn't go because." And, you know, in Joe's defense, it's kind of a hard PG-13. I think it pushes... We'll get into the movie in more detail. But be that as it may, you know... You're still bitter. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) I know my parents, the memory is not their strong point. And, like, when it came on HBO, I said, oh, can I watch The Last Emperor? And they said, oh, I've never heard of that movie. <laughs> I knew for a fact that they went to see it a year ago and <laughs> thought it was inappropriate for me. But yeah, that's like a history movie, sure. <laughs> wow. All yeah. these things were going on while I was, <laughs> you were I was off on married. my honeymoon. Yes. So let's get into 1987. This is your early, oh no, your 20s. Beginning of your beginning 20s. of my twenties, yeah. yeah, yeah, I was. So you probably know some of these movies. Like nineteen eighty, yeah, I turned twenty in nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's see. Do you have any memory of Hope and Glory? No. Okay, that is a movie by John Borman. So this was nominated for Best Picture. Yes. And lost. Yes, this is one of four losers. Okay, four losers. John Gorman, never heard of him. John Borman. Borman. Yeah, he's a British director. He's mostly known for directing Excalibur. Have you heard of that? Yes. That's a... Have you seen it? Uh, no. That's Disney? No, it's not a Disney <laughs> movie, but it's a, there is a fantasy... Di- it's a King Arthur legends oh, of right. Merlin and, and it gets into all of that. It's a They don't have movie. a Disney movie of Excalibur. No. I mean, there's the sword in the stone. Okay, that's the closest. Yeah. All right. So we've ascertained I'm not the movie storage of knowledge. But Excalibur. Yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah, so he's famous for more of this this fantasy movie, but he also, with Hope and Glory, directs a more serious semi-autobiographical story. 
That's based on his memories of growing up in London, or not in London, but in England during World War II, as his town was getting bombed by the Germans. Okay. Kind of on the home front, so it's about this kid, kind of his... Uh, uh, wow, it sounds very sad. Yeah, well, there's there's hope and glory. So it's it's kind of, it's it's more nostalgic than sad. Okay. I mean, it's, they, they don't... They don't all get bombed. Good. It's uh, a lot of praise. It was just, as I said, kind of a departure for him. Yeah, that's Hope and Glory. Apparently it wasn't big with the college set. No. Do you remember Broadcast News? Yes, I do remember that. I don't know if I've seen it. Did that have, like, William Hurt? William Hurt. Wow. Wow, that's very (laughs) Yes, I might have seen it since then. I certainly didn't see it at the time. Broadcast News, yeah. I think I've seen that. Yeah. William Hurt and he... Yeah. Some sort of drama. Yeah, it's a comedy drama uh, written and directed by James L. Brooks. He's the writer-director who focuses on comedies for adults. It's just like very intelligent dialogue. You know, smart, well-drawn characters. He's most famous for Terms of Endearment, uh, which was a Best Picture winner. Okay. We, we talked about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And As Good As It Gets. Oh, yes. I really like that. He made that. Later yep. On, which... Technical Son. Yes. Okay. Yeah, another Best Picture loser. You know, just those three examples kind of show that he makes more cerebral comedies. Okay. Than, you know, a lot of... Dialogue, character-driven. Aaron uh, Sorkin. Yeah, as, yeah, maybe not as as dialogue-focused as as Aaron Sorkin, but uh, similar. I only know the West He's Wing. More of a West Wing. I love the West Wing. Yeah. So yeah, William Hurt is the he's brought on as an anchor for a news channel, and the tension there is that the. Existing anchor that he's joining is Albert Brooks, who's kind of a serious news guy, and William Hurt is hired because of his looks. Okay. So it's kind of about the networks becoming more image conscious. Holly mm-hmm. Hunter is the producer okay. of the show. She's great. She's fantastic, and she really came into her own this year. She, she also had Raising Arizona earlier in the year. So this okay. was her. Is she Elastigirl? No. Yes. Oh, she is Elastigirl. She's the voice yes. of Elastigirl, yes. Yes. Yes, in The in, Incredibles. In The Incredibles, yes. yes. Okay. This was on the most critics' 10 best lists. Okay. Of any movie this year. Broadcast news, yes. Yeah. So it was one of actually two comedies nominated for best picture this year, which is kind of refreshing. Comedies don't. Usually, get, okay. uh, usually under-recognized. The second one is Moonstruck. Moonstruck. Oh, with Cher. Yes. Right? Yes. I may have seen that. Yes, you've seen that. I have seen that. Yeah, we've Nicholas discussed Cage that. Nicholas Cage or no? Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. I have seen that. Yeah. 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 yeah it's Great a, Italian family mm-hmm. kind of... Olympia Dukakis. Oh, right. As the more mother as the, figure. He's Cher's mother. Yeah. Yeah, I like... And then was Nicolas Cage the younger brother? Or? Yeah, so Cher is 
she's going to get married to this uh-huh. guy she's been with just because it's kind of time. Like, I kind of like her character because it's not presented as a, she's not so much a, a spinster or that she's desperate. But this kind of northeastern Italian type family where it's just everyone gets married and you just kind of get to the point where, you know what, I'm just going to take what I get. Yeah. And, and just because I've okay. seen that with other people, right. or, yeah. you know. So her husband is, or her fiance is played by Danny Aiello. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. And his big thing is he had a falling out with his brother uh, because his brother got his arm chopped off by accident. Okay. Uh, Nicholas Cage. And so oh, right. the thing okay. is about Cher trying to repair that bond so mm-hmm. that, you know, he, he can come to their wedding and. It's 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 a great movie. Okay, I really I have not fond of seen that in a very long time. I just remember scenes of the family around the breakfast table or the around Mm -hmm. the table, and it's not like you know we come from an Italian family and and with its origins in the we live in Southwest, but origins in the Northeast. But it was more chaotic than the sort of scenes that we had there, but familiar foods and... Oh, yeah, definitely. And such. So I just remember enjoying the movie. Yeah. I and really well, and the don't whole, remember the anything. The thing that's a whole extended family kind of lives in the neighborhood and they just yeah. pop in. And oh, it's yeah, It's like yeah. the meals are kind of like chaotic with the play settings because people will pop in and right. all yeah. sorts of Okay, stuff. well, we can identify with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, Moonstruck is a... 1987. Very much endorse that. Mm-hmm. Go see it, people. Right? Yeah. I, I, it holds up. I've seen it recently. Uh-huh. As mm. does news, broadcast news. Broadcast. Yeah, I would love to. I haven't seen that in years. I, I'd I love think to I just that. saw it maybe within the last few years. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I believe so. For the first time I saw it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to revisit that. I really like Holly Hunter and Robert Brooks. We just lost William Hurt this year. Oh. Yeah, he passed away. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. The last nominee, rather than our the last losing nominee, uh-huh. I'm sure you've heard of. Oh, The Princess Bride. Oh, I know it's a good nominee. <laughs> uh, but it's 1987, year. right? Yes. I really should have won. Uh, <laughs> we go, we're big fans of The Princess Bride. I'm sure it will become a big game, but this is its year. Yeah. Uh, this was a great year for movies. Uh, oh. Um, outside of the nominees, you also had, I referenced... Raising Arizona, there's also The Untouchables, there's Robocop, there's uh, Roxanne, oh, there's yeah. uh, that Steve Martin movie. Right, Cyrano de Bergerac. Right, yeah. exactly. The, Roxanne is a Cyrano de Bergerac update. Yeah. So a lot of great movies. Yeah, it's, it's strong okay. year. All um, right, so this is a movie that was nominated that wasn't The Princess Bride, but 1987. Yes. I don't it was, know what it is. Big, Give me a maybe hint. Maybe the most talked about movie of the year. Give me a hint. So, uh, yeah, I'll give <laughs> a funny way to look at the 80s is like the third straight decade dominated by the baby boomers. Right? Oh. You know, the 60s was kind of that period of I feel like we're over... still dominated by baby boomers. I think that's just your perception. Yeah. They, the, the, they're not responsible for the Marvel movies. <laughs> okay. That's true. Um, right. Yeah. They just 
Okay. Yeah, so like the 60s was all like youthful rebellion and then the 70s kind of centered, okay. moved into kind of this hardened anti-establishment mm-hmm. uh, edge. And then by the 80s, it was more of let's scare our children into not turning out like us. Oh. So there was a lot of like cautionary tales. Oh, and Poltergeist? No, this <laughs> is a... Uh, it's a thriller about the um, dangers of one night stands. Oh. Oh, um, um, the rabbit one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With Glenn Close. Yes. And, yeah. What was that Fatal called? Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. <laughs> yes. Okay, so, yes, I do remember. I did see that at the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I was, of course, way too young for it, but I remember this was. A, Big talked about movie. Yeah. This year. Should, he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> That'll teach him. Dirty Dancing was also this year. Oh, so a lot okay. of like, yeah, very really fun movies. movies. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, Fatal Attraction. Yeah. Okay, that was nominated. Yeah, it was nominated for Best Picture. Okay. Recently. And then there is our winner. The Last Emperor. The Last Emperor. Uh, So, Bonnie, can you give us a summary of the political history of China (laughs) for the first half of the 20th century? Well, there was a revolution. (laughs) So they had a monarchy, a dynasty, you know, they had a monarchy, and then there was a revolution, as there was happening a lot of places in the world, and they overthrew the monarchy, so this emperor. Yes. Well, And we are going to spoil the movie, so just... You uh, to the extent that we understand what's going to happen, we are going to talk about what happens yes. in the movie. So if in the last so, 35 years you haven't had a chance to go see, right? That's how long it's been. The last number, 35 yeah. years. Yeah, because yeah, we've been married for 34. So Okay. <laughs> in the last 35 years, if you haven't gone to see The Last Emperor, too bad. No, go see it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it, it's... This is about, wait, you're just asking me about the political no, history. No, it was just being <laughs> yeah. kind of a, but that's what the movie covers. But yeah, you can talk about the movie in yeah. particular. Yeah, so it's uh, China going through its revolution yeah. and over th- and no longer being a, uh, a monarchy, essentially. Yes. Yeah, so well, this... More or less the point of view... Of the last, of, so the movie is shows the last emperor from the time he was a young child and became emperor as a three year old right. to this overthrow, and you know the following. It was it was interesting. I didn't know some of the. I didn't know a lot of the history there. I had no idea about this. So they talk about how partway. Th- through he becomes like this puppet. Right. The Japanese put him up as this puppet emperor of Mankudo, whatever. Mm, yeah. Manchu anyway, uh, something that was was like a spin-off um, of Manchuria or something, because he's from Yeah, Manchuria. the Japanese had in the World War Two era. The World War Two era was kind of it was a, also the Japanese Chinese war kind of I think ran into World War Two. 
Yeah, I felt like some of the movie assumed that I knew more than I did about their history. Yes. So, <laughs> like, yeah, but I'm basically I, following, you know, like when the Russian Revolution is going on there, you know, it's a lot of these things are happening. But right. somehow there's still a British monarchy. I don't know how that is. That's amazing. Yeah. So crazy. But anyway, yeah. so it follows him all the way through from all of these dramas and then finally being sort of brought to task for his role almost really kind of as a traitor i guess for being the puppet emperor and eventually went yes. out but based on a true story manchukuo 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 right what did i say something different i don't know we might have said that I no just wanted i'm to make sure, sure we did get the right that, but... what did you think of the last emperor i like i like these sort of historical biographies in general right um, I very much, you know, when I read, I read a lot of nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, but I don't really feel like watching it again. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was worthwhile watching. I mean, whereas, you know, it's the same year as Princess Bride, and we watch well, that at well, least once a year. Yeah. Certainly not my favorite movie of the yeah. year either. It is. I think it's a beautiful movie. What went into recreating it? This is a very rare, I think, and this is the first movie actually to get permission to film in the Forbidden City. Yeah, I really knew nothing about the Forbidden City to be honest. Right. Like so it was, and that was fascinating. And there was yeah. the scene early on where the baby is chasing after that yellow drape, and then it opens up, and there's just this vast army behind yeah. it just bowing to him yeah it's a stunning shot yeah and yeah but i i think the history is fascinating i think the movie's beautiful i think that the forbidden city becomes such a, a unique location and it really kind of comes alive through the movie to the extent that once we leave that part of the story, I just think a lot of the drama dissipates. Oh, so it, when you say, did they film it in the Forbidden City? Yes. Wow. Yeah, so again, I, I don't know mm-hmm. if it's been done again, but it was very hard to get permission. Yeah, the other thing that I wasn't sure about, he becomes emperor right? as a little the toddler, right. really, and then he's he he becomes like a prisoner in the Forbidden City. Right. So there's an overthrow, but they're still like it's almost like they're keeping an emperor figure, or mm-hmm. are they protecting it? Like what's going on? There? Yeah, we don't really know because it's from his point of view. He's kind of isolated from all the stuff yeah. that's going on. You get the sense that the government is changing periodically, but. At some point, the decision is made to keep this figurehead going, which right. looks to be extraordinarily expensive. Right. Somebody's putting the bills, which I think that'd be fascinating to get more information on why that is, until they don't and they ship him off. Or, or I think we're going to take him to prison and he ends up with the Japanese. Right. Yeah. And he so lives that's... this sort of this surreal life inside the forbidden city of 
real yeah he, he's opulence real opulence and but just very prisoner. yeah but he's everybody bows down to him so he has this weird existence where brought up with everybody just does what they're what he tells them to do yeah and I, then it's interesting because they have a is it his brother? Somebody comes in at some point and brother, yes. Like lets him know, like, hey, this is you're not the leader, right? And it's just like, what are you talking about? Of course I am. I'm. Uh-huh. It's almost like a. a and then makes that guy drink ink. To oh, prove right it, to remember? prove it. Yeah, it's a little Yurdo the turtle comes to mind. You know. Yeah. He's the turtle of the king of the turtles of all he could see. So. Right. He kept trying to go up higher, but. Dr. Yeah, Seuss and then there's really, um, I also like the scene with his brother where he's taking his entourage on a wild goose chase throughout the <laughs> circle. Yeah. <laughs> Making right. him, it just, just because the, it is kind of absurd that yeah. he has no real power, but in this, this secluded kind of yeah. fantasy land, he's has ultimate power. Yeah, it's a real, um, you know, makes you think about what is power. Right. Because it's really what everybody else decides that it's going to be. You know, so if everybody, so if all of a sudden they change and it's like, oh, you no longer have power, then there's, it's not like you can point to anything and say, but I, but I really do because it's all kind of artificial. Right. Anyway, so you've there's got to be something backing you up, and usually it's armies, right? Yeah. But if you no longer have control of the political power, the, yeah, it's really, it is really. It is, I mean, and you can see that with the British monarchy too, kind of being. What this, is that? You know, I'm no expert on the monarchy, but I've heard it said that you know the. Real power is with the parliament, but they serve at the discretion of the king. Now, yeah. not yeah. the queen anymore. <laughs> yeah. The King Charles. But, I mean, what would happen if he decides to dissolve parliament? Like, I mean, I think technically he, the, the traditions say he has the power to do that, but I'm sure. That would be resisted if he did it, <laughs> you, you know. So how much yeah. is that power really? I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's really interesting. I think you know so much of this just as, as Americans, it's. You know, the, just the concept is so foreign to us, even though we're so familiar with it. Mm-hmm. But it is. You look and you know, I guess their role is to, ribbon cuttings and, you know, it almost seems. Cruel that they're that's your role in life, and I know they're kept in they live in castles, and I don't know, but it's just odd. It seems odd to us because we're, of course, growing up in this post if we grew up 200 years ago, monarchy would seem Mm -hmm. normal, normal, yeah. But the monarchy at least does seem normal because that's an actual. It's this constitutional Ooh. monarchy that's a little yeah. odd, where they don't actually have the power, but they, their names, yeah. on, their pictures are on the coins or something. Anyway, but anyways, well, we're not. We're actually going to have. Them. I think we'll have plenty of movies about the British monarchy that come. Yeah, uh, at least 
two or three that I can think of. Okay. Getting back to the last emperor, I think yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Where the 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 parts of me that really work are the parts in the Forbidden City that have that drama of being having ultimate power while being a prisoner. Mm-hmm. I think part of the problem the rest of the movie has is with the framing device, which is the framing device for the movie is that Puyi is in a Chinese prison station. Okay, right, because is that where it, it opens there? Yeah, it opens with him being brought before the, this is after the um, communist revolution. So mm-hmm. the Chinese Communist Party is in charge and they're interrogating him. Kind of becomes the narration for the audience is his mm-hmm. interrogation. But I think the Because he's telling his story. We're kind of seeing yeah. his story as he's... Right, but he's also, it's in a situation where he's motivated to lie, or at least not tell the whole story. So I don't think it functions well as narration, but it's used for it. So (laughs) when we get to the Japanese scenes, it's hard to really get a grasp on the character's agency or motivation. Because what we get from the voiceover narration, where we can't really trust what we're being told, and we never really get a sense of how much is he is he really just a pawn of the Japanese? Is he, you know, very gullible and just being used by them, or is he using them to get some of his power back? Is he looking to get vengeance to right? the wrongs that the Chinese have done to him, or what, like, we don't really get under his skin. And so I just think that the history is interesting, but that second half of the movie just is very lacking in drama. Also, I didn't quite understand, you know, from the point, he's being interrogated by the Chinese. Yes. He's arguing for his innocence. Right. In this, but then the story he tells, no matter which one of those, if he got duped by it, I mean, people warned him. As he's doing the retelling, it's like people warned him, you you can't do that. And he's like, well, I'm going to anyway. And Yeah, I mean, he's got a... You know, he, he, but it's hard to tell what he means and what he doesn't when right. he's talking. Yeah. Because, I mean, he can't just deny it so I guess what I was expecting was we're now going to see his perspective and it's going to be you know like oh I never whereas it still seemed like well it seems like you just kind of wanted to be emperor again right (laughs) and in some scenes and then in other scenes it's less clear so I I just but he doesn't seem like he's working towards this grand plan of overturning the Japanese and you know he's really uh, sort of like a double agent kind of thing which is mm-hmm. is I th- I think what I was expecting yeah. his defense to the Chinese at least would be is like no I was really on the I don't know it didn't seem to tell that story and then it was just like yeah I think it, okay. it just is kind of aimless although this part of the movie does have my favorite line she says I'm a spy and I don't care who knows it I don't remember that, that part 
maybe uh, oh uh, yeah yeah right. a double agent for the Japanese right or not yeah. even a double agent but she's yeah. working for the Japanese right she's the one who convinces him to come do yeah. this yeah yeah I just I really love that line I'm a spy and I don't care who knows it I mean yeah. I I just like that line. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so, and it's a sad tale of his wife, and yeah. I don't oh, know yeah. what she, was going on with she that. She just gets an opium addiction. Okay. Do we know that? Was I supposed to know that? She just, something I, goes, there, I have to something say, goes awry there. I didn't even actually yeah. know there was an opium addiction. Yeah, I do have to say, to say that there are times that I pause the movie to refresh the Wikipedia page on the history. Of oh, okay, it's okay. Just, it's a little hard to follow. Okay, I didn't even know she I had think, an opium. Yeah. I sh- I just knew that she yeah, wasn't she very, does. she wasn't very happy, and I didn't, I didn't yeah. know if it was righteous or she was just I don't know. Uh, but anyway, right. But it was it wasn't an offensive movie. Uh, no, you know, it w- was interesting, and I'm. That's interesting. I can see where it did. So why do you think well it won? Best. Well, I I think that it's such a visually impressive movie mm-hmm. that. Um, Yeah, I, th- I think that that helped it. Just the, the kind of epic scope. This is a time where Oscars really like historical sweeping dramas like the. So, did the Chinese Gandhi. Communist Party have any say? And they just let Hollywood come in and make a picture? And they oh, didn't... I'm sure there were a lot of uh, stipulations that they put and how it was presented. Um, and we're just okay with that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, wasn't it was the eighties, right? Nobody was worried. Everybody was worried about well, Japan in the eighties. I do remember that. Yeah, I mean, this is only I think two years before Tiananmen Square too. Wow, the student. That's uh, crazy. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the movie doesn't really portray the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, that's one of the things that the movie doesn't really seem to have a perspective. Right, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what is missing a bit. Yeah. For me, at least. And it's fine. I mean, I can see why it would win a bunch of Oscars because of the costume design and the, you know, it's mm-hmm. just the work that went into putting this together is is astonishing. And I don't know, you know, the broadcast news was the most, the movie that critics liked the most, but also, you know, James L. Brooks had just won, you know, in terms of endearment, was only four years earlier. And, you know, probably split the vote of comedy fans with Moonstruck, which was also very well mm-hmm. received. And um, so, yeah, I think it. Um, it got nine nominations, and it won all nine. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was the second movie to do that. The first was... That's a good percentage. GG, which finished down at number 88. We talked about <laughs> it in the... Uh, it also went nine for nine. Okay. Um, also, both this and GG, no nominations for any of the actors. Really? Yeah. It's fairly unusual for a Best Picture winner. 
Um, I think that's anti-Asian sentiment. Yeah, well, I think a lot of the movies, the Best Picture winners that don't, uh, do tend to have foreign casts. Uh, the most recent was Parasite, which is a South Korean movie. None of the cast was nominated. Yeah. Uh, the, well, they the, did the, have the, a famous um, yeah, non-Asian actor in this. The Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole playing the... Uh, the um, Tudor. Tudor, yes. Yeah. And I think that was probably the movie's best shot at an acting Oscar, just because... Especially at this time, the Academy was very much prone to doing like a career achievement, you know, giving the award for someone. And Peter O'Toole has, um, I think, had six Oscar nominations and lost them all. And so it would be kind of a good time to just give him one. but no, he wasn't nominated, and I think the um, and we'll put a stop to that was that this is the same year as The Untouchables, where Sean Connery gives such an electric performance, mm-hmm. and he was so obviously going to win. Um, so Peter O'Toole is fine, but it's not. There's nothing um, particularly memorable about his performance, so it's like. What's the point of voting for him if he's just going to lose? It's just going to be his seventh loss. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, Sean Connery is right. definitely going to win. Okay. Yeah. Did you see The Untouchables? No. Sean Connery is great. It's about Elliot Ness and Al Capone. Oh, I would like to see it. Uh, Kevin Costner like... plays Elliot Ness. Oh, Adam would. Probably one that he would like to. Yeah. Yeah, he hasn't already seen it. Yeah, so the untouchables. So this, it's interesting when I'm I'm thinking now about this. I was trying to think. Well, nowadays, if you know, it would be applauded for having such an Asian American cast, except for Peter O'Toole. Um, You know, because remember when um, Crazy Rich Asians came out, and it was just like, oh, this is the best thing ever because it's it's an all Asian cast. Yeah, and that was a terrible movie. That was. <laughs> I didn't care for it either. No. Oh, this is this actually is a you know. Oh yeah. I would definitely yeah. watch this way before I would watch Crazy Rich Rich Asians again, which I just yeah. I, I was expecting a lot more. I was getting so many. I was you know, expecting If you're a good person, you were gonna love this movie, and if you're not completely, you know. But then it was just like, well, it's not funny. Yeah. And it makes these people look incredibly shallow and blah. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of Crazy Rotation. So this is way uh, better. This is way better. Yeah. And I like I like The Last Emperor. I think yeah. people prefer The Princess Bride. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. definitely. Yeah, definitely. And maybe some of the other movies from there. But, but I think the ranking, you know, is a fine... Choice for oh yeah, I think this is a good spot for it. To, it's a good spot for it. Just outside of the bottom quartile, and the eighties already halfway wow. completed. Interestingly, that's my decade, man. I know. <laughs> Every odd-numbered year has been knocked out, 
every wow. even number year remains. Wow. So yeah, we don't have very the many. The 80s, there's only five left, and the 30s, there's also only five left. Okay. So. Every 50 years. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the um, 70s. That's the year for movies. Dennis has a chart here yes. in front of me so I can see because he knows mm -hmm. I would never know who the best picture winners are. So Yeah. Yeah, so is it listed by decade? Seventies um, is the only completely intact decade. Let me make sure that was still the case when. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, so this was a fun rewatch. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I enjoyed going back to it next week. Next week. We are going into the 40s. Um, and this is actually going to bring the 40s down to remaining, I think. Okay. Uh, with 1942's Mrs. Miniver. Oh, right. Mrs. Miniver. Yes. That will be uh, next week. And just kind of as a, a programming note, we are... Um, for these early podcasts, we're kind of experimenting with the logistics of how we do it. Um, and I think we have decided that we're just going to do record one a week and do the reveal at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. So to have it be more exciting. That's why we both kind of knew Mrs. Miniver was coming next because for the, the first few, we decided we'd kind of watch a bunch of movies and then have one recording day. But I think we're going to move away from that model so that... Because really the most fun is having that reveal. That what's reveal coming next. So right. starting the episode after next one, we're going to do that live on while we're recording. Yeah. So, but next week, join us for Mrs. Miniver, which uh, at least from the time you heard that that was the next movie... You've never seen it, right? Yeah, never, never heard of it. not even heard of it. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll get into that next week. All right, until then. Bye-bye.